when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. It's time for Carolina football. Let's get the fuck out of your seats. Spurs up. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton, and I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and this is going to be a solo pod. So cracking that one open for you, Cousin Shane. Cousin Shane had to, he's actually moving today. Moving from a new place just down the road, so not a big move. He's still in the sticks. One day we'll get him up to the big city of Morristown, maybe, but uh, <laughs> still in the sticks out there. Cousin Shane, thinking about you. He is planning planning to be back on the next episode, but hey, we got some great stuff. Too good to uh, sit back here and not have a show. We got a really great interview with uh, Bruno Reagan, former Vanderbilt player, played for Derek Mason. He's going to hop on the show, talk about uh, the Vanderbilt coaching search and just, you know, the experience of playing at Vanderbilt and everything that goes beyond that. And uh, give us a little inside information from someone who's actually knows a lot of those players on that team. So looking forward to that. We'll get to that one here in a moment. But, uh, hey, we like to start with something fun if we can. And old Eli Drinkwitz, man's... He's living life. He's flying high. Missouri on a uh, two-game winning streak. And they've won four of their last five. The man is on fire. His program getting recognition. He of him even being up for SEC Coach of the Year. We kind of talked about that on the last episode. Missouri versus Arkansas. We're going to break that game down more on the next episode. Waiting for... Coach Drakowitz to actually meet with the media, but uh, he did do a little media talk in here. He was on SEC Network, SEC this morning. I just thought this was too great. I mean, they're using it, whatever they can, for motivation. They spelled his damn name wrong on the show. It, uh, it, I thought this was one of the best uh, clips of the day here. So let's kick it over to Eli Drinkowitz. We've talked about this a lot on the show, Coach. You came in this league. I, we probably knew the least ab- about you uh, in terms of, of uh, uh, your personality, but, but you've quickly yeah. become one of our favorites here. And I know a lot of people, uh, you mentioned it last week in your post-game press conference, a lot of people were doubting what you'd be able to do this season. Mm-hmm. Four wins. Um, anybody that you want to call out? I know you took screenshots of people <laughs> saying you were going to have uh, only one or two wins yeah. this year. Anybody you want to call out directly? No, nah, I mean – 
I, only y'all's uh, graphics guy who misspelled my name this morning and said it was Elijah Drinkwitz, <laughs> and we still don't even know enough about us to spell our names right. So, you know, here at Mizzou Football, we're just trying to do enough to, for people to, to spell our names right and give us credit for what we're doing. Uh, you know, we're four games, you know, we, you know, we got four, we got three more to go. Um, got a really tough Arkansas Razorback team. Can't say enough about what Coach Pittman and his crew's doing. So, uh, you know, you're only as good as your next performance. So we're focused on what we got to do next. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we can win enough games. We can spell people's names right, you know. Coach, you should be thanking me right now. I, like, I'm the one who did it. I put the graphic up there. Actually, I yeah. didn't. But, I, I, like, yeah. thank us. because trying to that's, the sword? That's, that's one more chip on the shoulder you can have for anybody that doubted you, right? Like, I, I figured you'd yeah. be thankful this morning. It, it doesn't do any good for me. I need y'all to misspell Nick Bolton's name. Maybe he can have about 35 tackles instead of just 12 each game. So uh, if y'all can, if y'all can really just piss him off, that'd be great for me. <laughs> So if this is an Eli Drinkwitz podcast, it's also a Nick Bolton podcast. SEC Network were to spell his name wrong. There'd be hell to pay on Saturday. So I just thought that was great. Something we had to open with on the show here. Like I said, we'll get more into uh, Missouri, Arkansas. We'll break that game down on the next episode. Other quick hitters here real quick before we get to, uh, you know, some Vanderbilt talk, but Man, Kentucky defensive back Kelvin Joseph announced on Monday opting out. Only got one game left, South Carolina game. Did not want to play in it. You know, these opt-outs are starting to pile up. Starting to wonder what in the hell is going on at Lexington. And this is a guy that uh, apparently he came up to Mark Stoops and said, hey, I don't want to play in the final game. And Stoops said, well, that's that's not the way we do it here. If you're you're all in or you're all out, so... Made the decision to opt out, and he's going to the NFL. He leads the SEC currently with four interceptions. And this is uh, just kind of where we're at, I guess, in college football, where, you know, it's not an opt-out for COVID. It's an opt-out for protecting your draft status. So, I mean, in some sense that I get it, but he didn't even play a full season here at Kentucky. He redshirted last year. This was the guy that must – you know, they, they gave him a starting spot the first day of spring camp. They knew this guy was going to be their lockdown corner. He had his issues at LSU. He's a Baton Rouge native. So, you know, he's a good player. I'm not trying to totally shit on him here, but I don't know, man. I don't know about these decisions. We'll, we'll see if the uh, the NFL cares about this or not. Certainly, it's not going to kill his stock or anything, but, you know, final game, you don't want to – if you're Kentucky, you don't, you don't want to end the season on a three-game losing streak, right? You want to go out there and play – I think Mark Stoops made the right decision saying you can't just sit out. And, you know, for being honest, that last game against Florida, he was the one that got toasted by Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. And the sad reality is, hell, Joseph probably would have helped the stock not playing in that game. Maybe that's why he made his figured out if I'm going to get toasted, I might as well sit out the rest of the season. So, I don't know, that that's uh, that's an interesting one there. Interesting decision there from Kelvin Joseph. And then uh, how about this? Is <laughs> I don't want to save this one for Cousin Shade. I know he's going to want to get a little angry on it. He's he's mad at uh, he's always mad at Garantano. Now he's starting to get mad at Pruitt. And this is not going to help because Tennessee lost a commit just before we hopped on here. Number one inside linebacker in the nation, five-star recruit Terrence Lewis, second decommit of a top 100 prospect in the last week for Jeremy Pruitt's program. So clearly things are teetering there for Coach Pruitt. We got Muschamp gone. We got Derek Mason gone. 
hottest seat in the SEC may belong to Jeremy Pruitt at this point, and losing recruits certainly not going to help that narrative. So we'll talk uh, more with Cousin Shane on the next episode about that. But hey, we got to let's talk some uh, Vandy coaching search here. Make it down. All right, unfortunately, don't have audio. Vanderbilt AD Candace Story Lee, she met with the media here. And I was not on this call, and I don't have the audio. Otherwise, I'd share some of the clips here. But, you know, some telling stuff here. Because the way she tells it, and she's in charge of finding the next Vanderbilt coach, they're going to prioritize winning. And that's not something that, uh, you know, Vanderbilt can honestly look in the mirror and say that's been the case here always. So that's going to be something. Now, it's one thing to say it. She's got to go out there and prove it. But uh, other notes here, she said the offensive-minded coach is something they're interested in. But she did note that doesn't mean that that's what you got to be. If you're not an offensive coach, they want someone on staff that the style of play is going to be very important. That's a direct quote from her. And another thing that I think is kind of helping her case here, she said she reached out to all of Vanderbilt's commits, spoke with the families, on Sunday after firing Derek Mason. And, you know, that was kind of part of the reason. They want to get make sure they get this uh, recruiting class signed in and they know what they're signing up for. And hopefully they plan on having a coach by then, but they're not going to speed up the process just to do that. But uh, I think that's another strong move. You, you don't see many ADs making calls. I know Fulmer and uh, his predecessor, John Curry, at Tennessee after they fired Butch, you know, that was something he was doing but just don't see a ton of this so there's a little uh you know that speaks to the commitment a little bit there from candace lee and uh, the search there but interesting comments you know we're going to get to it here with bruno reagan here in a second but uh the guys on the hot board mostly offensive guys but we got clark lee the vandy grad no notre dame defensive coordinator not an offensive minded guy although he did play fullback so it's not like he's all defense all the time, but it certainly sounds like if Lee were the going to be the guy, they really need to hire someone to, or he's got to have a plan at least to hire an offensive coordinator that uh, kind of fits what Vanderbilt wants to do. So interesting thoughts there, but uh, let's go much deeper dive here with our guy here from Vandy Sports, Bruno Reagan, former Vanderbilt Commodore, very gracious with his time here. You can give Bruno a follow at Bruno Reagan. That's B-R-U-N-O-R-E-A-G-A-N on Twitter. And that'll be in the show notes. You got to give this guy a follow. He's uh, now in the media covering the Vandy beat here. He's got some uh, outstanding information for us. So let's kick it over to our interview once again with Bruno Reagan. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by Bruno Regan. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruno Reagan. Sorry, sorry, is it Regan or Reagan? I I always screw up names. Reagan, yeah, it's it, it's Reagan. Okay, and he works over at uh, Vandy Sports with our buddy Chris Lee, who's been on the show a number of times talking some Vandy football. So, uh, Bruno, thanks for joining us. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Happy to be here. So for Folks that uh, you know may not be familiar with you, you, you played at Vandy for Derek Mason, mm-hmm. you played in the XFL, and now you're 
in the media. So can you give folks just a little bit of uh, just your background? Yeah, so uh, so I was part of Derek Mason's first recruiting class. You know, James Franklin took a bunch of his guys with him to Penn State. That opens up opened up some spots. I'm a local guy. I played here in Clarksville, Tennessee, and the, in high school. And then uh, Coach Mason recruited me pretty late down to the process uh, to come to Vanderbilt. I was part of his first recruiting class, and I was there till uh, the 2018 season. I was one of his first guys throughout it all, and then uh, you know we ended up growing together and. And now, now I'm working with uh, Vandy Sports. You know, obviously I had a little stint in the NFL. I had a few training camp opportunities in the NFL. I had an XFL stint, and now I'm uh, now I'm back home. And I do I do a bunch of stuff. I like run a martial arts school, and I also work with uh, Vandy Sports in the media section. So, and as I understand it, you're a world class judo fighter, state champion wrestler. So, needless to say, you could uh, whoop my ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, but. <laughs> I, I do. Have, I, I got. I've been training it for twenty plus years, so it's part. It's just part of who I am now, and you know, I'm not going to give it up for anything. So I'll, I'll keep at it till I die. Okay. Well, great. Well, you know, like you said, you played for Mason. You're part of his first recruiting class there at Vandy. So I got to start with that. What, you know, just what was your overall experience on being a part of uh, Derek Mason's Vanderbilt program? Oh, well, when he first got there, you know, it was obviously wasn't the best season, especially after the Franklin years. They had two back-to-back nine-win seasons, you know, bowl game. Both, both I believe, were bowl game wins. And uh, so that was the first – the first season was 3-9. You know, obviously a shocking loss to Temple at the start of the season. There was a lot of mix-ups. It just looked like Coach Mace was in way over his head at that moment on the outside and on the inside, too. I mean, as a guy, I had no idea what winning in football looked like anyways regardless of college football. I wasn't a very good player in my early college years. So it was kind of like me and Coach Mace had this, like, you know, we were learning on the job type deal. We were we were growing together at the same time. He was learning how to be a head coach, on you know, on the fly, and I was learning how to try and be a, a high-level football player on the fly. And, uh, you know, we bumped heads a few times in my earlier years, but then when it came down to my later years, you know, I sort of, I sort of developed and uh, eventually became one of his team captains. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this. I expect you don't, but uh, I'm a Tennessee grad, so I just want to thank you and <laughs> Coach Mason for uh, helping us get rid of Butch Jones. That, we owe you one on that. Right? <laughs> yeah, me and uh, me and Coach, Coach Jones also recruited me, but I had a little bit. Whenever I played Tennessee against Coach Jones, it was personal to me because I, I really wanted to go to Tennessee, but uh, I think work, things worked out the best for me. Uh, Vanderbilt offered me a scholarship. They just offered me an official visit visit and that was it so i took it personal and uh and i'm, I'm glad i could help with that honestly that was uh <laughs> that was a good that was a good few few games we had against him so what are your thoughts on uh, vanderbilt moving on from coach mason and and i guess in addition to that just the timing of it now that uh you know coming off this game with the national attention with the sarah fuller you know debut mm-hmm. and everything so just overall thoughts on vanderbilt's decision yeah, so I think now with what we're hearing and the facts, and you know, eventually athletic director Lee coming out and talking, and we can we have learned that the coach Mason firing, she deemed that he was going to be based off you know the wins and losses early in the season, right? And her reasoning for firing Mason just yesterday, or yeah, I believe it was yesterday, was because that would have been the end of the regular season if it was non-COVID year, right? So she, I think she has, you know, separated that doubt from, oh, this was, like, related to Sarah Fuller. Like, you know, there's a lot of narratives going on. I think Athletic Director Lee just did what she was, you know, hired to do, you know, evaluate the, evaluate the season. 
and this is when the season would have ended, and this was their time frame they gave them, and this was their time frame they had in their mind, and they made a decision. I thought it was a game. I think this decision, it, it, even though there's two games left, that also sends a message. You know, Vanderbilt is not going to just sit back and you know wait till a thing does or let a contract run now and then. You know, they they won't win, but they won't win now. And I think that's the message they're trying to send here. Yeah, if if anybody uh, hasn't checked it out already, you got to check out the last couple of Vandy Sports podcasts hosted by Chris Lee and, and Bruno was on each of those. And they talked about uh, Sarah Fuller and leading up to her debut. And then, of course, they did one right after Derek Mason's firing. So got to go check those out. But, you know, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit on, on that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not obviously asking you to reveal any sources here or anything, but I would imagine being on that team, you have to be close with a number of players. So yep. just what was your – What's your read on after maybe talking to some people in the program or associated with it on um, just how Coach Mason and I guess more importantly the players, how do you think they, you know, were they fully supportive, do you think, of this decision to, to use Sarah Fuller? I think the whole team was supportive of Sarah. You know, Sarah went out there and they welcomed her in open arms and they, because she was going to play. So they treated her like a member of the team mm-hmm. and they gave her their full support. Do I think that some guy, I think there was a, a majority of the team, now that I've you know gotten around, they, they were indifferent to the whole thing, right? They were trying to put their heads down and win a game and prepare. It was really tough because there was a lot of you know cameras, lights, all that, a lot of words up. You know, it's hard. It's hard to close out all the noise. But I think a lot of those guys were totally indifferent and they were just trying to do what they could do in the week, right? Then a few older guys who were just you know it, it. And I hope people can take it as they're not against Sarah or anything, but just you know the national media coming on to an zero and eight season it's just not how these guys want to and then the national media comes so it's probably it was probably a highly rated television you know segment right Mm -hmm. it's probably a very watched game and for them to get trounced 41 to 0 it's just it's just a lot on a lot of the older guys who you know this was supposed to be their senior season this was you know this is their legacy and and i hope people can understand that it's just tough for the guys in there too so nobody's against sarah it's great for sarah she i mean she did she did exactly what her job was she probably graded 100 percent. you know scope it to the 35 can't ask for more than that didn't go out of out of bounds didn't get returned so i think it's just tough for those guys in there right now and then that having having such eyes on that on that program when they got beat down 41 to zero it was just tough now i know this is uh, fresh because Coach Mason just got let go just a you know a day or so ago, but mm-hmm. uh, you know when we look back on his time there, what do you think his ultimate legacy will be at Vanderbilt? Because you know I know the the results weren't on the field, but by all accounts, just an outstanding guy and and just like a first class individual. Yeah, I guess I guess the first thing people will probably look towards if they want to look at the good of Mason's tenure, it's going to be the three wins against Vanderbilt. I think it was uh, three wins against Tennessee at Vanderbilt. I think it was like back to the 1920s on the last time that happened. So, I mean, that's a legacy deal that they'll talk about for him. We went to two bowl games. We didn't win them, but Vanderbilt going to a bowl game is a big deal. I believe we have seven or eight total bowl games in our history. I know because I walked by the six or seven bowl game plaques, not wins, like total bowl games, and we added on two of those at his time there when I was there. So that was four, I believe, four or five years in, five years in of his of his tenure. You know, we achieved two bowl games, which is a tough thing to do at Vanderbilt. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of potential there. He had a lot of NFL guys. I mean, he had Kyle Schremer, Justin School, Jaron Pingy, Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, he had, he found some talent and developed it. So that's, I think the good that people will talk about when they talk about coach Mason's time at Vanderbilt. So 
what's more important for Vanderbilt moving forward, making the perfect coaching hire, which, you know, let's just say they get the absolute perfect fit and everything goes according to plan, or is it more the school fully committing to the football program and the overall experience for the players? Yeah, it's going to be the school committing to the football program. And I think uh, Athletic Director Lee is saying all the right things right now. I mean, she just had a press conference discussing the coaching change and the search going forward. And I think she's saying all the right things. And she's saying, you know, Kirkland, which is, you know, the administration center of Vanderbilt, and McGugan, which is the athletics administration center, she says they're aligned. I guess time will only tell, but you could get the right guys in there, and it's not going to solve a lot of the problems Vanderbilt has. People will point to things like facilities, the stadium, you know, it's hard to recruit against, but this, uh, people also point to the fact that the city sells itself, right? So it's a good city, good good degree. There's a lot there's, there's a lot of that in play with the program. Um, I know she mentioned she wants in her in her hire, she prefers offensive-minded, and she prefers head coaching experience. Neither of those things are deal-breakers. But it does give us a sense of direction where they're going to go. In college football, though, you can have the perfect hire, right? Like, I think we saw, like, I think whenever Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh, you know, he was the top guy. Or when Texas hired Herman, he was the top guy. But sometimes these things just don't pan out. So I'd rather see, I'd rather just see the commitment from Kirkland to go to the athletic department into committing to this new coach, and they get the changes they need done to be successful down like 10, 20 years down the line. And what's your confidence level in uh, Candace Lee, the, the AD there, to make the best hire for the football program? Right now she is talking the talk and she is walking the walk with the decision. Listen, I like Coach Mace, and I know she liked Coach Mace too, right? We both had personal relationships with him. So to make that decision during the season, that gives me an extremely high, near 100% confidence level in her that she's going to do what she thinks is right to win. She's obviously she's going towards a search. She's using a search committee to help. I know she's going to bring in other other resources that Vanderbilt can offer to help. I'm very confident that she's going to make the decision she thinks is right to get this program on a winning track. She mentioned that explicitly. She wants wins. So. And what are some of the achievable goals that you think that, uh, you know, obviously we don't know who the new coach is going to be, but mm-hmm. what are some of the goals that you think he can get done year one? Yeah, so I talked about this in a few podcasts. Year one, it needs to be, you know, they need to take an SEC game off the schedule when I say off, I mean, they need to win an SEC game at least once or twice in that season. You know, pick some wins up, you know, try and try and try and run the table on your out of conference. If you're on the table on your out of conference in a normal season, that's already four wins, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can pick off one or two other SEC teams, you're bowling. You're bowling. So if they get one or two, that's how Mason's rise sort of started. You know, I want we want to see that progress. And they have the perfect, you know, there's not a lot of expectation there. No one's gonna come in and expect to win the SEC East. We got a lot of young guys that got a lot of experience this year. So eventually, you know, get that one or two wins, you know, try and get to a bowl game within one to two years. And then after that, that's when we're, we can really start building. That's when Ken Seals will, you know, be in his true leadership leadership position as a junior, as a senior. That's when we can start aiming for maybe an eight, nine win season. Who knows, maybe even better. And try to do something at Vanderbilt that hasn't been done and set, and set a standard for the program. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Ken Seals because that was going to be basically my next question. You know, we all know that uh... – you know, just look around college football. The the teams with the quarterbacks are the ones that are dominating the sport right now. Mm-hmm. So how much does having Ken Seals, and I would even throw Mike Wright in there because based on just the little we've seen of him, he looks like a quality player too. How much does having, you know, some, some real talent at the quarterback position make this even potentially more of an attractive job for the candidates that are out there? 
I mean, it's hugely. I mean, if you said you're a Tennessee guy, you see how um, how like you can have some pretty talented rosters and quarterback can. If quarterback's an issue, the whole thing's an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Quarterback is the most important position by far in football. I know some people like to say, oh, it's center or it's cornerback. No, it's quarterback. Quarterback is your team leader. It's your figurehead. So to have a guy like Ken Seals and even have a guy like Mike Wright on the back on the back end who could get like 10, 20, 30 snaps a game in his own right through his own packages or maybe contribute in other ways. I mean, these are guys who have already taken the leadership role at such a young age. They're only going to continue and that's only going to help. And, you know, when a coach comes in, he already has his guy. He could focus on other things. Now, uh, kind of the last thing I wanted to discuss with you here, if you head on over to Vandy sports right now, Chris Lee has got up a initial hot board. He's got four candidates on the list. He's got uh, Will Healy, mm-hmm. you know, everyone from Middle Tennessee area knows that name. Clark Lee, the uh, Notre Dame defensive coordinator, Vandy grad. Jamie Chadwell, the who's got Coastal Carolina in the top 20, I think, right now. And then old Jeff Fisher, former Titans coach. So of those four, certainly not, it's too early to say, you know, one of those guys is going to be the next coach. But if you had your pick of those four on Chris Lee's initial hot board, which, which way are you going? Yeah, so I've been a big Keeley fan, and with what Lee has said in her conference, I think she just basically described Will Healy. You know, she wants him with head coaching experience, and he has, you know, he had head coaching experience at Austin P. turned that whole program around. I'm from Clarksville. That was probably the most historic turnaround in college football history. Then he went to Charlotte, got them to a bowl game. Offensive-minded, you know, these are all, check all the boxes for what Lee has said, right? And then there's Jamie Chadwell. That'll be, those two are probably the early, early top two. Clark Lee was also a name that was coming up a lot yesterday, and it was someone I just heard of at that, you know, that day. So Coach Mason got fired. Clark Lee's name says coming up, and I'm, the more and more I'm looking at him, seems like a potential candidate. He's a defensive-minded guy, and he doesn't have head coaching experience, so that's kind of two things off what athletic director Lee publicly stated, but they're not deal-breakers for either. So I think Will Healy is going to, Will Healy and Jamie Chadwell are the fan frontliners, but as far as we know, it's all speculation at this point. The search just started for the athletic department, so those will be two names to watch throughout the whole process, but it, it could go in an entirely different way. Well, you just kind of sound like uh, Will Healy's uh, agent right there. You don't have a third job, do you? You think? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, dude, I'm just extremely biased, biased for Will Healy because I've, I grew up in Carson my whole life. Both my parents were Austin P alums, and it's just like Austin P was the worst college football program in the history of college football programs. And he somehow brought, got, he was a recruiting guy. He somehow got SEC level talent to Austin P, and they weren't world beaters yet, but he developed those rosters, and then the, he got hired to Greener Pastures, and then the coach after him won championships with those rosters. Mm-hmm. So I just see what he done in first hand and the search has just started today so obviously i'm doing more digging into these names but yeah i guess i do sound like a will healy fan because i am well that's not a bad you know that's not a bad coach to be a fan of because i do know that uh, there was a offensive lineman that arkansas and lsu were after and he signed with him mm-hmm. this offseason and, and i know tennessee fans were terrified Pruitt was gonna blow another <laughs> one they had to face charlotte in the opener until everything got changed up so yeah. I think you might be on to something, but uh, hey, that's that's all I got for you. He's Bruno Reagan. Once again, you can follow him at Bruno Reagan on Twitter. Just one word. And head on over to Vandy Sports and the Vandy Sports Podcast. Bruno breaking this all down. And I'm seeing you're all over the Nashville radio. You're all over the scene, man. So I know you're a busy guy. I really appreciate you hopping on with us here and, and talking some Vandy football. No problem. Appreciate it. All right, just want to say thanks again, Bruno, for hopping on the line here. And again, his Twitter, at 
Bruno Reagan, one word on Twitter. I thought, uh, you know, some interesting stuff there. Got some insight on what it's like playing for Vanderbilt. And uh, it was pretty telling that he said, you know, when Mason got there, they're learning on the job. I think that was kind of obvious. If you were, you know, if you can go back this far in your mind, Vanderbilt coming off some of the best times ever in that program history. And then I believe it was Temple. First game of uh, Derek Mason's tenure, they lost. So you kind of saw the writing on the wall. He even said, well, it was uh, Chris Lee that actually said it on the Vandy Sports Podcast, said, hell, they probably should have fired him year one. That, that probably would have been the right decision. They, they, was, they were just destined to get here at this point. So it's a, that's an interesting comment. But we hear so much from damn cousin Shane talking bad about Vandy. It's kind of nice to hear from the other side and someone that uh, – knows what it's like to to beat Tennessee more than lose them. So interesting pr- perspective there from uh, Bruno and the candidates to come. Sounds like he's really high on Will Healy. Got to learn how to say that damn name if he's going to be an SEC coach. But uh, certainly he's he's a up-and-comer. I don't know if, if he doesn't get the Vanderbilt job, I could certainly see him getting. He was a candidate there. I don't know how much of a candidate he was, but he was a name being brought up at South Carolina. I think maybe that is... Uh, you know, a job probably maybe a little too big for him at this point, but hey, the way that uh, he, the work he did for Austin P. now he's down there at Charlotte, he's turning that thing around. You know, I've heard him on the Paul Feinbaum show, seems like a real sharp guy. I think he's going to be an SEC coach one day, whether it's his Vanderbilt job or not. And if you're Vanderbilt, do you really want to miss out on someone that uh, could be the next big thing? I mean, who the hell knew who Lincoln Riley was when he was stuck at ECU, you know? Dan Mullen, I know, uh, you know, he's one of the better coaches in the nation now, and, and he had a ton of success as an offensive coordinator, but Mississippi State took a chance on him. So, I mean, there's plenty of uh, examples of you don't have to necessarily hire this huge name that everybody knows. I think you want someone that's going to build up your program. And at Vanderbilt, there's a lot of advantages, a lot of disadvantages too, so... I think you really need someone that can sell to talent, you know, why they need to be at Vanderbilt, why they need to build that thing up. Uh, That thing is in prime position to blow up, but, you know, it's kind of like Bruno said there, it's got to be more about the school itself making the commitment than anything the head coach is going to do. So, and Candace Lee, again, it's just words. We got to, we got to see it play out, but they certainly sound committed to doing that. All right, so the vast majority of coaches that spoke here on Monday, not uh, their counterparts did not speak. So I'm only, only going to break down one game here. Could have done Florida-Tennessee, but I'm going to wait for uh, Tennessee Homer. I want to get his thoughts on it. It's been a while since Tennessee's even played a damn game, so <laughs> I couldn't do that one without him. So we're just gonna, I'm just going to do one preview here. Let's jump on down, first team. Number one team in the nation. Jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! All right, so Alabama's riding high. We got an undefeated season so far on the line. We only got two matchups remaining. The SEC reworked the schedule to give us Alabama, LSU. This game is very important to the SEC. And, hell, you know who else it's important to is Nick Saban and Alabama after they lost to LSU. We're going to get to Coach Saban's comments here in a minute, but... Yeah, it's funny. They don't get many opportunities for a revenge game. They just got one at Auburn, smoked the Tigers, looking to do the same to the other Tigers for the Bengal Tigers here. 
And, you know, you can hear his comments, man. They felt disrespected last year. Devonta Smith, Heisman hype, maybe best player in the nation. He's also from Louisiana. So <laughs> a lot of things here, a lot of factors here playing into this matchup. This is the one that uh, we've all, you know, I've been circling maybe the uh, the only chance for an upset of Alabama, LSU, and certainly the way these programs are trending this season. You know, you can blow that out the damn water. I mean, this is this one could be ugly. And it sounds like Nick Saban is eager to be on the sidelines to watch it. So let's kick it over to Coach Saban, talking about his status for the LSU game after missing a game for the first time in 40-something-odd years and on getting uh, Devonta Smith touches when defenses are keying in on him. And then, most importantly, his comments on revenge games. I want you to listen into that one. It's I got something to, for you on the other side. First of all, um, I'm feeling fine, so you don't need to worry about me. Um, and just to make it clear, uh, I'll be evaluated by the medical staff later in the week, and they'll make a determination as to when I come back. Uh, but I don't anticipate any problems um, in being able to coach the game this week. Yeah, I know that, that it seems like Devontae Smith, he's obviously done very well recently, gotten a lot of passes, a lot of catches. Uh, how do you guys try to distribute the ball, and how do you how do you have to be creative, I guess, to, to get him the ball with defenses locking on him? Uh, well, you know, I, I think that you try to move him around uh, the best you can. Uh, I think, you know, it gets really hard to try to um, – especially in regular down situations. And I think in regular down situations is where Smitty has made a lot of his explosive plays. Um, when I say regular down situations, it's on play action pass, it's on bubbles, it's on, uh, it's not really third down situations. Third down situations, you have a little bit better chance, I think, when you know it's gonna be a pass to try to take somebody out of the game. Um, if that's what you, you know, the question that you're asking me, uh, so the fact that we move him around a lot and uh, he's a smart guy, he can play all the positions, uh, which is very helpful because, you know, some guys that you have playing receiver, it's almost like the defensive back. Some guys can just play corner. They can't play anything else. You know, some guys can just play split end or X receiver, as we call it. You know, other guys can only play Z or the flanker position. All right. But in Smitty's case, because he can play H, he can play X, he can play Z. I mean, we can move him all over the place. So that really makes it hard for the defense to um, track the guy and make adaptations and changes relative to formations, especially when you're in run-pass situations, which is regular down type stuff. So uh, I think Sark does a really good job of moving guys around and utilizing the personnel so that, you know, we can get the playmakers the ball. Uh, that's always you know, been something that uh, has been really important to us. Nick, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but but you've got a pretty good record when it comes to these revenge games. I, I wonder, as a coach, in your experience, how powerful of a motivator is revenge when it comes to playing a football game? Well, to be honest with you, um, I never try to use that as a motivating factor. Um, you know, every season is different. Every team is different. Um, but do I think it is a motivating factor with individuals and players? Uh, I absolutely think it is. I think that, 
you know, awareness of what happened in last year's game and all that is always something that, um, you know, players remember, think about how they felt, you know, after a, a, the game last year or whatever. Uh, and um, I do think it's a motivating factor. Now, as I said, I usually don't try to use that, you know, I, because in our case, and I don't want to sound facetious here, but we only have a few of those where we can, you know, sort of look at last year or the year before or whatever and say what happened was an issue or a problem. Um, but but I, I think that, you know, nobody likes to get disrespected. And I think when you, you lose a game, you feel that way to some degree. And um, I think it's human nature to try to make it right. So uh, I, I do think that that is a motivating factor for most human beings. All right, so if you heard, you heard it there, Nick Saban talking about being disrespected. I wonder what he could be talking about. Change the narrative. Yes, sir. We're going to beat their ass in recruiting. We're going to beat their ass every time they see us. Oh, you understand that? Yes, sir. Roll tight. What? Fuck you. Yeah! All right, so uh, hey, that was a viral moment last year. If you couldn't quite make it out. That was Coach O in the locker room after beating Alabama. Roll Tide, fuck you. You have to know, that's what Saban's referring to. So we already knew this was going to be a huge, huge mismatch of a game. We got LSU players opting out. Their best player on the offensive side, Terrence Marshall, opt out. Miles Brennan, I mean, unless some miraculous happens, he's not going to play. We got freshman quarterbacks. We can't block anybody. It's just a disaster here for LSU. Let's kick it down to the other side in Baton Rouge. It's my honor to present the national championship trophy to Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Where Coach O met with the media. And so here at Alabama, you know, we're number one in the nation. We're smoking the hell out of everybody. Remember Shane and I trying to put it in everybody's heads. You know, the mission was revenge, redemption. My God, we only went 11-2 and two last year and, and everyone... They were acting like they went two and eleven in Alabama. You, if they were that locked in after an eleven and two season, you knew they were going to come into this thing with, uh, you know, just raising hell, and that's what they've done. And on the flip side, we got LSU here, who team leaders opting out before the biggest damn game of the season. We got injuries. We got the coach, you know, screaming in players' faces. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but. I mean, we're going to get to his comments here in a minute, but it's Terrence Marshall, opt-out. Isn't this the guy that just stepped up in front of the whole team and, and pleaded with everyone to, to stick it out? Now he's gone. Uh, he's getting asked about the direction of his program. He's getting asked about, you know, who are you going to play at quarterback when the opponent has got maybe the damn Heisman quarterback at quarterback. So, I mean, this is just night and day different from last year, and they're just – I mean, I cannot state it enough. I mean, anything outside of, you know, pride for playing in Tiger Stadium, playing against your arch rival, if LSU does not, you know, bring that intensity for this game, they're going to lose by 50 fucking points. I mean, it's crazy. So let's kick it over to Coach O, who, I mean, he's struggling here. He's struggling here. The season's almost over. We've got a couple of tough games remaining, but uh, let's kick it over to Coach O. 
opts out and transfers and all those things. But the, first off, did Terrace talk to you about it, about his decision? You kind of alluded to, you know, why maybe the timing was right. Secondly, this season when it started, we all knew it was going to be different. Did you have to adjust your mindset, as you like to say, set your jaw for a different, you know, scenario with these kids that, that, that they yeah. may opt out in the midseason? There may still be more to come. You know, do you kind of yeah. have to understand, I guess, and kind of yeah. smile through your teeth for them? Yeah. Well, first of all, Terrence did come talk to me yesterday morning uh, like a man. And Terrence and I have a great relationship. You know, uh, I play with his uncle Joe Delaney, and he and I talk about Joe all the time. And uh, so, you know, it was a little different between a uh, player and a coach between me and Terrence, almost like family. So he came talk to me like a man. He explained his decision. I respected his decision. And, yes, this is a different time. You know, be able to, you know, like Jamar Chase hopping out, Terrence Marshall, two of the best receivers in the country, um, Tyler Shevin. You just got to deal with it. Uh, something you got to deal with. Next man up. But we've got a lot of young guys that are getting to play now. They're excited. And I think this is going to help us in the future. Yeah, I mean, you talked about uh, kind of preparing for this year with all the ops out, the all possibilities. Um, kind of two questions. The, the second, you know, won't be related to this, but I'm curious. As the season continues, do you, do you expect more players to follow or – how do you approach that talking to the team in the wake of it? Yeah, that has not been discussed with anybody else. Uh, I haven't heard anything. Uh, the first time I heard about Terrence opting out was Sunday morning. Uh, he had a tremendous game. Uh, but, you know, we're going to take it day by day. Uh, I mean, other players can't opt out. That's the rule. Uh, nobody has talked to me about it. But, you know, again, we'll take it day by day and see. Hey, Coach, you know, obviously with, with Terrence gone, you can't replace that production that he gave you guys. But just – who are some people or some players you're hoping can step up in his absence yeah. and kind of take over as kind yeah. of the next in line? For you you know, I like I like us to get Eric Gilbert the ball more. I think Eric Gilbert is, is an outstanding player. Uh, we can move him out to a receiver position. Uh, John Trey Kirkland sitting in the wings. Uh, hopefully we can get Trey Palmer back. I don't think Racy McMatch is going to be back this week. And then we have two great young receivers in um, Kishon Boutte and Corn Moore. So, we have a lot of guys that are hungry to catch the ball, and I think the next man up is going to prove that they're very good receivers. Considering the, the speech Terrace made to the players about yeah. sticking into the season a couple of weeks ago, how do you think now that he's left, what do you think the players think of that, and what do you think? You know, I, I think it's something we've got to deal with. Obviously, uh, he had a change of heart. Had a, uh, I, I thought when he said it, he met it, and uh, the team believed him. Uh, I think that... Uh, Obviously, he had a change of heart. Uh, you never can tell what goes on, Glenn, with, with, with uh, guys uh, when they talk with their families or people that they talk to and they make personal decisions. And I think this was a strictly a business decision for Terrence. I can't speak for him. Let him speak for it. But, again, we support him, and uh, he's he been a great LSU Tiger for us. Hey, Coach, good morning. A um, couple quick questions for you, if I can. Um, last year, obviously, everything's hunky-dory. Couldn't have been better. <laughs> I like that. This year, <laughs> this year obviously, it's been challenging. You, the face of the program, the head coach, where is this program heading, Coach? I mean, and, and yeah. where is the light at the end of this kind of dark 2020? Yeah. yeah. We're building a championship program, and we will be champions again. Uh, recruiting is going well. we got some great young players. Uh, we have some stuff that we have to get fixed, and I know we have to fix it, but I've done it before, and I'll do it again. Hey, hey Ed, it's Ed, New Orleans. Um, what do you plan to do if you can say uh, sorry about your quarterback position this week? Do you yeah. plan to settle on one, or will you play two, and when will you make that decision? 
Well, we're going to see uh, the game plan throughout the week. You know, it was the surface was wet. We thought that uh, the only reason we pulled TJ was to put Max in and to try some quarterback runs, and we had planned that all week. And we thought that we could get that done, but it, we, we couldn't. So we're going to see this week. We're going to practice both of them, and then we're going to make that decision at the end of the week according to the game plan and what, what we need to get done on offense. All right, so, I mean, one team, driven, intensity, focus, championship. The other, <laughs> we got no answers. <laughs> we got to figure out how to block people. We got to figure out who the quarterback is. We got to find out who our leaders are, who's going to step up. This is not the week to figure these things out. This is, uh, you know, that was Vanderbilt week. You had to figure that shit out Vanderbilt week. This is this is going to be something completely different. And I'm just, I'm feeling bad for LSU at this point. If you're out there on your betting, gambling apps, whatever, bet up LSU, excuse me, bet up Alabama. This, this is going to, this is looking like a bloodbath. So that's just something to keep in mind. Man, what a downer this, uh, <laughs> what a downer we ended on here. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. If anything, I've been the worst damn picker of games here in the SEC this season. And if that holds true, the upset of the year, LSU is going to come out. The Incredible Hulk version, as Shane would say, not Bruce Banner. The Incredible Hulk's going to show up, going to whoop some ass, defend the home turf. I mean, that'd be 2020 right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> Thanks again to Bruno Reagan for hopping on the show, breaking down some Vandy coaching search and just giving us the lowdown from what's going on there on the West End. So really appreciate that. Cousin Shane expected to be back for the next show. So looking forward to that as well. And if you made it this far, as always, don't forget, leave us a five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. And we're happy to send you a beer koozie of your choice. We've got nearly every team in the SEC represented with those. So uh, that's just our way of giving back to all the listeners out there. But uh, hey, that's going to do it. Thanks for joining me. We'll catch you on the next one.